at a series literally that started in chapter 8 and it's called uh, the limits of Christian freedom. We who are in Christ have a freedom that is supernatural. Uh, We looked at our last uh, series or portion of this thing and we looked at illustrations. Paul used his Christian freedom in his very life so it was seen. Now we're looking at priorities of Christian freedom. What does Christian freedom um, have as its priorities? And we struggle with this in our lives. We have very frantic lives, don't we? Anybody in here doesn't have a frantic life? You know, I actually had somebody ask me, boy, I wish I could get like a 30-hour day. And I said, really? (laughs) Okay. What are the priorities? And the Apostle Paul, I want you to understand that he's coming out of, let me show you my life as an illustration of the limits of Christian freedom. All right. But he wants you to understand that in my Christian freedom, there are always the priorities. Always the priorities. In chapter 9, verses 15 through 27, he lists the two priorities. Okay, the two priorities for a child of God are one, the gospel, and the second is to the lost. To the lost. And I, I want to review quickly um, our priorities to the gospel in verses 16 and 17. And um, as many of you know, I don't believe in evolution, but I will tell you that as I have studied this, this message has evolved. And uh, I believe that it will speak specifically to Castle Rock Baptist Church this day. You should count yourself blessed this very day. Maybe. Okay? And I think that once you hear this message, you'll understand what I'm saying. We are in a very dangerous position right now, this church is. And I believe that this text, I just, I, I would like to tell you I planned it. But <laughs> administrative skills is not my strong suit. So I didn't plan it. All right. Review this quickly. Paul had a compulsion to the gospel. Okay. He was obligated, he says. He said, I am under compulsion, even to the point he makes a statement that, Woe to me, cursed am I if I do not preach. Look what he says he preaches. The gospel. The gospel. And, and I wonder in this day and age if we have that, that fire. If you look at 1 Timothy. Now I want to show you something because... You need to understand something. In his reward, he, was, he understood his calling from God. We looked at this last week. We looked at it in the, the prophet Jeremiah. All right. So we understood what the fire in the man was. Okay. And he said, my reward is that I can preach the gospel for free. Why? That's something that I am giving to my ministry that God doesn't mandate. Right? This is something that I'm sacrificing for what God has called me to. So it's almost, I've heard people use a term like this. He's taking ownership of what God has given him. This is what God has given me, and this is my sacrifice unto the ministry that my God has given to me. Okay, now let me explain something to you. If you're saved today, mark this down. If you're saved today, you have a ministry. You have a service this day. 
Okay? You were created for good works that God preordained. So don't say, well, I don't understand my ministry. Then who's got the problem? You or God? All right, just question. But I want you, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, because I want you to see this. The Apostle Paul speaking of the elders, okay, the pastor teachers, who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at the preaching and teaching. Okay, the word double honor there is one word in the Greek. It's time. It's it's a compound word, time, right? But it says that they are, if someone is doing a great service in the Lord, they're worth double pay. Okay, the emphasis of the text, the syntax of this text, the emphasis is on hard work. Okay, those who are working hard are worth double pay. Okay, that's what the text says. All right, in the work, those who work hard would be at what? What does it say in your text? Preaching and teaching. Okay, someone's doing a great job. Someone who has an emphasis on laboring and preaching and teaching is worth what, does the Bible say? Double pay. Double pay. You understand that? I, I dealt with a situation when I was down in Gunnison. Um, a young lady uh, was in part of this leadership, this Christian organization's leadership team. She also was a Sunday school teacher. She's single, and she's dating an unbeliever. Okay? And uh, they had asked her to step down from the leadership position and from the Sunday school position in their local church. And she came to ask me about it. And her, I, I give her credit. She wasn't angry or bitter about it. She's convinced that this young man's going to get saved somehow and all the rest of it. But I brought to her a view that she had never thought of yet. I said, what would you think is the most important, most powerful position on the planet Earth? And she smiles because there's a big controversy on the campus over November the 2nd, um, the, a great chasm has erupted. <laughs> there are a lot of people. You can tell who the Democrats were. They were walking around like this. It was kind of, it was humorous. It was worse when I left. But anyway, um, I, I need you to understand that. And, and I, she said, well, the president of the United States, because we are the single world power. I said, no, it's not. She said, it is, and what is it? I said, a person who teaches the word of God. The president never deals with the eternal destiny of anyone. The person who teaches the word of God deals with the eternal destiny of everyone who crosses their path. Which has a greater ramifications in society. Think about it. And you know what's crazy about that? Every single one of you in this room has that responsibility. I don't care if you're Justin or Al or in between. Okay? You teach about your God and the way you conduct your life. Absolutely. And then sometimes if you have the privilege, you get the privilege to teach. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, do you understand that, that these priorities are first? 
I have a compulsion. I have woes to me if I don't preach and if I don't preach the gospel. But he also says, you know, I have a reward because I have given a sacrifice. I have literally done something and presented it unto God as a sacrifice. I have laid this on God's altar, not on my altar, on God's altar. I've laid this on God's altar. What was it? I'm preaching it for free. Okay, But it isn't that he doesn't say that the man doesn't make his living on it. He's just saying, this is a right. This is a freedom that I have to make my living on the gospel. But for the sake of the gospel, so I'm not a hindrance to untrained ears, I refuse any money, any offering. Okay? Now then, that brings me into verse 19. Okay, and I'm just going to lay a foundation on this. And here's the reason. As I was going back through this in the original language, this thing from 19 to 27 has got purpose clause, purpose clause, purpose clause, purpose clause. And they're just little fragmented statements. Boom, boom, boom. Because of this, do this. Because of this, do this. And because of this, 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 and this should happen. And this is this, this, this is what I do. Okay, so that's what a purpose clause is. And when I seen this uh, in my cursory reading of it, and as I was going through it, it wasn't that big a deal. I always pay attention to purpose clauses when I'm in it because it's it's a it's an illustration. It is and because of this. This is why. Okay, and they they just kind of hang out there by themselves. But all right, uh, and and if I look at verse 19, I can almost summarize eight, nine, and ten. Chapters 8, 9, and 10. Okay? Look what 19 says. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself... What does it say? To who? If you translate that, you know what that word all in the Greek is translated as? All. Okay, ask yourself a question. Is he saying I'm a slave to the believers? Yes, he's saying he's a slave. How about unbelievers? What about the Jews who would take him out and beat him? What about the Romans who put him in chains? What about the Herodian garden, Caesarea? Okay, why would you do this, Paul? He says it right there in verse 19. What does it say? I may win more. I may win more. Okay, I I can look at this and I can say the focus of what he's looking at is evangelism. Right? And let's be realistic. If you mention evangelists today, if you say well-known evangelists, who would you say? Billy Graham, right? And I would agree, but I would say the better-known evangelist is the Apostle Paul. There's never been an evangelist like the Apostle Paul. Guaranteed. I mean, the devil has to be very thankful that he didn't have satellite broadcasts. Okay? I mean, really. I mean, when you think about it, you, you better look at it from that perspective. So the man have a heart to win. But I want you to think about it. I read a book, The Secret to Soul Winning, because I'm not an evangelist. Okay? And I, when I evangelize, I have to do the work of an evangelist. Okay, I have to labor at it. Okay, but I want to show you something here. In verse 19, he says that I may win more. 
Then in verse 20, that I might win the Jews, and that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, that I will win those who are without the law. Verse 22, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. Okay? Why? What was, it, what was behind that? Well, look at verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the, the prize? Run in such a way that what? To win. To win. I want to win. Seems shallow, doesn't it? Does this seem shallow? That bother you? Paul says, I'm in this because I want the prize. Does that seem shallow to anybody? Well, that don't sound like a godly motive to me. Does that bother anybody? When Jesus made the statement, I come quickly and I have my rewards with me. You know what? If that bothers you, then I probably bother you. Because you know what? I'm in this thing for the reward. I want the prize. Sorry. I mean, if you thought that I had this great spiritual motive, (laughs) you're wrong. I'm in it for the reward. Okay, And if that makes me less spiritual than you, don't worry. Keep praying for me. I'll get there. But I still want the reward. And I want you to understand this. I don't want second. The Apostle Paul did not run to place. The Apostle Paul ran to to win. Okay, That brings me to the mind that I want to deal with. He was running to obtain a prize. He was running to obtain a reward. Okay? He was winning people to Christ. That is definitely the objective of this first part here, isn't it? It's to the lost. Okay? But I, I, need, to, I need you guys to think with me. Okay? Now listen, uh, I love all of you people. Uh, I would do anything in the world for any of you. But if I see you start dozing or checking out on me on this one, you will hear your name. Okay? Because you need to hear this. You really, really... There may never be another passage of Scripture that will be as important to your life as this text. Okay? We need to get a handle on it here. Now then, first I want you to think about something. Have you ever seen a diamond... When they, they cut them and they have the facets on it, the faces of the diamond. All right, and that's literally where the value of the diamond comes from. So when you hit one facet with a light, it refracts and comes out multiple directions. This evangelism thing that you see him dealing with is a facet of the Apostle Paul's ministry. Okay, evangelism is a part. It's just one side, one angle 
of, of the brilliance of Paul's ministry. Okay? Now, I want you to think about something for a second. Just now, come on, people, you're going to have to stay with me because if I think you're not with me, I'm going to say, are you with me? But I'll name your name. If every child of God has a ministry, does it have multifacets? Should have, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay? So, when you think about, take the word ministry and and that spiritual ministry and say, my service is multicolored. Okay, now the reason I use multicolor, and you'll see it in 13, why, or chapter 12, why I use multicolor, but I'll deal with that because when God shines His light into that vessel that is His, the brilliance comes out multicolor. Multicolor. Now, grab this, get a handle on this, because if you're saved today, the brilliance of the Lord God Almighty is in you, and it should be shining out in multiple colors, multiple... uh, Just think of the diamond, okay? Have you ever seen a diamond, okay, and then it comes to a point at the bottom, and then the top is, and they set it down in the prongs. If you take a pin light and shine it from the bottom side of that diamond... So it's going into the point, it comes out all of the facets, and it will wig you out. If you're ever going to, it's Tom Shane, your buddy in the diamond business. If you ever happen to visit your old buddy, take one of their diamonds. No, don't literally, but (laughs) ask them to take one and take a pin light and shine it from the back side of it. And let it shine back through. And it will freak you out. It's amazing. Don't ask me how I know that. I've done it before. Don't ask me whatever caused me to do that. But it's just a long story. But when I think of ministry now, that's how I think about it. The light of the Jesus of our Lord, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ in you. And then it just goes in all the radiant glory that you could ever dream of. Okay? I want you to think about that picture for a minute because I want us to get a handle on this. Okay. Um, God and and I wrestle a lot. Um, I don't know if I'm just determined or whatever, but I, I got to ask this question because this is what God woke me up uh, a few weeks ago with this on my heart. Okay. Uh, it's late at night, um, and I, I just woke up. Um, wide awake with this thought was Paul's ministry effective I have two people who shake their heads yes well being that if you're Gentile today you are a product of Paul's ministry and we're, what, about 1,800, 1,900 years out from his last little ditty. Uh, I'm thinking, yeah, it was effective, right? And that's what I want to get at because I want to think about this verse 19. Okay? Because when God woke me up and he says, was Paul's ministry effective? You know what my response to him was? Of course, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. Yes, 
Can I go back to bed now? <laughs> Guys, I wish all of your questions were that easy, Jesus, because I'm going to sleep now. <laughs> okay? Right? All right, so I try to go back to bed. God ain't done. All right? You know why? He says, Terry, if Paul's ministry was effective, why was it effective? You ever thought about that? Why was Paul's ministry effective? Let me ask you a question. Okay, and I'm going to keep coming back to this. You're saved today. You have a ministry. Okay? You can't separate the two. You have a ministry. Are you effective? That's my question. All right? Am I effective in my ministry? All right? Because I've got some reasons that the Lord has given me why Paul's ministry was effective. Um, and I believe that these can and probably should and will apply to anyone who is saved. Okay? So, uh, when I look at this to the lost, uh, I'll just go through these, all right? First reason, okay, and I th- don't say, well, which one is the primary or any number one reason. No, it's, it's not the way it is, and, and I, I can't give you a reasoning for why I got this list in this number, in this direction. But first reason, the Apostle Paul's ministry was effective. He had the right message. Woe to me if I do not preach. The gospel. Okay, I know a lot of people who preach. Okay, I know some who preach the gospel, but not everybody preaching is preaching the gospel. Okay? One of the reasons I believe that people, that we, um, are not effective in evangelism we don't know what the message is. you know that? Let me give you a for instance here. Tell me if you've ever heard this. To get saved. Let me see if I can find it. There it is. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Has anybody ever heard that as a Salvation text, you know, that's not the gospel. That was written to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Key point there. It is a church. Please, Jesus knows where saved people are. I got people say, well, it was just church in name. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus basically told these people, you're not doing anything. You're lukewarm. You think you've got it all figured out. You think you've got everything down. And he says, you know what? You've turned your back on me and you are so boastful. You are so prideful right now. I ain't even in there. 
Basically, I would call it doing it my way. I am ministering my way. And he says, you know what? You need to come and buy from me. You need to come and buy from me. And he's basically calling a church to repentance. Okay? How's come we would use that as a salvation text? Listen, if I'm a lost man and you come and share that with me, my first question is going to be, why is he saying that to a church? Which brings me to the right message. The other part about the right message is, uh, we're not sure about the context of the gospel. Or we're afraid to get into a conversation because somebody will get us away from what we know. What if you just roll out that, you know, I stand at the door and knock, and he opens the door, I'll come in and sup with him, and the guy says, but he's talking to a church, not lost people. What would you say? Uh Uh-oh. Or we're afraid that somebody's going to ask us something that we don't know. What if they ask me a question I don't have an answer for? So my question is, if I'm effective to reach the lost, do I know the message? Do I know the right message? 1 Corinthians 15 of this book, Paul understood the message. The gospel had been delivered unto him and how the Lord Jesus died and on the third day he rose again. <laughs> that's, that's the gospel. Are you a sinner? Yes. Do you have any chance at all of being able to please God so he'll let you into heaven? No. Jesus died for you then. Okay. Do you believe? Then, are you willing to surrender everything to he who died for you? (coughs) Ain't a complicated message, truthfully. We like to make it complicated, but it's not. Okay, so for the first reason, or the first reason that I have given you, that the Apostle Paul's ministry was effective, is that he had the right message. Okay? Listen, there's a lot of people out there today dialoguing. But they don't have the message. They're talking about it, but they still don't have the message. All right? Second thing, Paul had a motive. Um, And I would even go as far as saying a compelling motive. I want you all to think about this. Don't start dreaming on me. I'll wake you up. Okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we see Paul pinned down. His motive. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he makes this statement. Each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Good or bad. We're going to give an account. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I, I kind of look at it as face the record of the redeemed life. Paul understood he was going to have to face the record of his redeemed life. I've got to give an account, Lord Jesus, of my service to you in your manifest body, which was your precious bride, your church. You ever thought about that? If you're saved today, have you ever thought that you will have to give an account of what you have done in church? Did you hear what I said? He's not talking about 
in the workplace. What did you do in the body of Christ? That's the church. And I will have to give an account of what I have done in the body of Jesus Christ. If you read Paul's letters, you will find an underlying... um, he mentions it, but it, and a lot of times it's alluded to, but you'll see it all the time in Paul's writings, that he had an overwhelming preoccupation with the immediate return of Jesus Christ. Any moment, Christ is coming to redeem the body of Christ. And if you read his letters, you'll find, I don't care what letter you read, you'll find it underlying that he knew that Jesus Christ is coming back. And he knew that it was going to be any moment. How do you live your life? How do you minister? Let's keep our context. How do I minister today? Do you minister with the mindset that it says that any instant I will see him face to face? Paul did. Listen, I believe that the stage is set emphatically for the second coming. I will not be surprised if my generation sees the redemption of the church. Okay? But I want to give you a, a different view on it. There ain't a person in this room and ain't but one heartbeat away from seeing him face to face, ready to give an account for what you've done in the body of Christ. You've got no guarantee of your next heartbeat. You haven't got one. Paul wanted to take the gospel to Spain. Never got there. Do you understand that? Let me tell you something. Do you know that every day 172,000 people die in this country? I mean, everything from car accidents, death, just got old and wore out, (laughs) um, murder, all kinds of different reasons. Now, there's a lot of people being born. I'll give you that. But have you ever thought about it? We got uptight out of 3,000 were killed in an attack. You ever thought about that? We sit there and go, there were over 3,000 Americans were killed just like that. There's 170,000 dying every day without attacks, heart attacks, cancer, um, automobile accidents, climbing accidents, whatever. You are never guaranteed your next heartbeat. Do you minister with that motive? Doesn't that kind of clean everything out? Anybody here, would you say that your, your lives are complex, frantic, kind of like this? If you live your life knowing that instantaneously at any moment I'm going to see him face to face, doesn't it kind of clear it up? Boy, it does me. I mean, it does me just 
Oh, we got a whole different perspective on it. Apostle Paul lived that way. Why? He knew he had to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. He had deep motives. Why? That was the love of Christ. At some point, I'm going to see him. I am going to see him who suffered the one thing that I can never suffer. Separation from the Father. He separated that from me. And I have to look into his face. Paul lived in light of that any minute now. Third thing. Third thing. Paul had a sense of the divine call. The divine call. And we would say, you know, he was cruising down the road. You know, he's going down to Damascus. He had a little plan. I'm going to do this and this and this. This is all going to be great. I got no worries about this. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and uh uh-oh. Right? So he had a sense of the divine call, right? Jesus said, greater are those who will come after the original apostles... That's the context. Greater are those who will come after you, for they will do greater works, for they have not seen the Son of Man. You know what he's talking to there, contextually? John's Gospel, chapter 17. You and me. We will do greater than the Apostle Paul. Now let me ask you a question. Is Jesus lying? Maybe he exaggerated the truth a little bit. Jesus was a big thinker. I mean, he he kind of thought on bigger scales than we did. Nope. You know what? Let me tell you about the divine call. Jesus came up and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That would be the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. And it is the conclusion of Matthew presenting Jesus Christ as King and Ruler Eternal. Let me ask you a question. The Apostle Paul knew that God had called him. The Apostle Paul knew that God had commissioned him. He knew that he was obedient to a divine call. How about you? Do you know you have a divine call? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. Yet, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Get that? 
Let me ask you a question. Do you understand that you have a divine call? Do you understand that the grace of our Lord is more abundant with the faith and love which is found in Christ Jesus than anything you could have ever done? Paul's testimony was his life. Did you know that one of the qualifications of an elder is that their spiritual growth is seen to all men? Did you know that? That's one of the qualifications. Why? Everybody sees that they're growing. Let me ask you a question. Was the spiritual growth ever seen in Paul? Who's seen as just Timothy, Silas, Barnabas? Who's seen Paul's growth? Everybody bumped into. Every time I touch him, he grows on me. What's up with him? Right? Didn't you see it? I mean, it's manifested. It's manifested. Paul realized God had picked him up and put him in the ministry. He uses this, and I thank God, or I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who strengthened me because what? He considered me faithful. Do you get that? It doesn't that God was faithful. He looked at Paul and said, Paul is what? Faithful. You don't minister sometimes because you're not faithful. You not faithful, would he strengthen you? No. If he gives you one thing to do and you can't do it and be absorbed in it, why would you get anything else? Why would you get anything else? Because if you start thinking that I've got this, I deserve this, I have earned this, guess what? You ain't faithful. You will not grow and you will not be used beyond that little whatever it is you're doing or you're not doing. The Apostle Paul was considered faithful. When God said, Paul, do this, what did Paul do? Have you ever had these instances? You run into somebody... You've seen them, you haven't seen them in a while, and you think, gosh, I should say something to them, and you walk away from them. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Has God ever called your heart to walk up to somebody who has hurt you and says, you must forgive as I forgave you? And your response is, And you wonder why you are or not being used? You are to submit to your husband, women. Well, but you don't understand. He doesn't even ask for our options. You know what? God's Word doesn't say, what do you think? Is this a good idea? Do you believe this will work in most situations, some situations, or it will never work? What do you think? And Paul says, you know what? He strengthened me for everything because of one single reason. 
He was faithful. He's faithful. I eat that up. I love that. That freaks me out. I'm just sitting there going, gosh, all I have to do is when he says do it, go do it. Why? You know what the book of Joshua is about? I just finished exegeting the book of Joshua. Okay? You know what the book is about? God goes before you. <laughs> That's it. I'm sitting there going, you wrote all of this to tell me that? Why didn't you tell me earlier that when I do all that Hebrew thing that made my eyes hurt? So if God says, do this, he's not saying, I'm going to throw you in the lions, and if you can whoop them, then mean you got something going on. He's saying, I'm going to throw you in the lions, but understand this, I've shut their mouths before you even got there. I mean, I didn't sleep much last Thursday night, last, just a couple of nights ago. I spent up all that time just being so encouraged by saints and, and iron sharpening irons, and it's so great. And the leader of this group came up and said, oh, by the way, the professor's going to be there, and they do want a time of asking questions. And all night I laid there thinking, oh, great. Men with women, you know, redneck, rabid women with PhDs. And they are. They are. And they were the worst. Okay. Um, asking, you know, they got PhDs, they're going to use words that I don't even, what did she call me? <laughs> and so, uh, and yet God in his mercy and his grace says, let me tell you something, Terry. Did I go before Joshua? And then, of course, my response was, but you don't even know where Gunnison is. <laughs> I mean, okay. But do you understand that? He went before me. He prepared them. Okay. Do you understand that? That whatever you're doing in ministry, or maybe what you're not doing in ministry, God has picked you out and put you in that ministry. Why? Because that's what He wants done. And so my ministry, whenever I think about ministry, my service is never unto you. I love you guys. It's never unto you. My service, my ministry is always unto the Lord. It is never to you. It is never to you. It's always to the Lord. Paul says it this way. Even if you're eating and drinking, how do you do it? Unto the Lord. And it becomes an act of worship. It becomes an act of service to who? To the Lord. Why? Who gets credit for it? He does. Okay? Paul sensed there was that call to evangelize. Paul understood going to the Gentiles was the purpose. That was evangelism. You need to understand that his purpose in ministry, okay? Why? He's reaching people who've never heard the gospel, never heard about a, a one God, never heard that you are a sinner and there's absolutely no way you can please God. He went to people who never knew the name Jesus Christ, never knew the name Yahweh, okay? So the fourth thing that Paul was effective in his ministry is what I call, he, sorry, I, didn't, I was trying to alliterate these, but it just didn't come out. He had a great boldness. He had a great boldness. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed. Why? That is the power of God. Okay? If you're trying to minister in your own strength, knock yourself out. 
The ministry I get, I receive from God. When He gives it to me, all I must do is be faithful. And what happens? He does a great work. If I'm faithful to that ministry, what happens to it? It'll grow. Or it'll get multifaceted. It'll start shining brighter in all kinds of different weird ways. It's kind of cool, actually. Why? It's the power of God. Let me ask you a question. You ashamed? You afraid people make fun of you? Do you understand that that single statement clears up so much from my mindset on the Apostle Paul when he said this, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain? you get that? We say that sometimes, right? We're having a bad day. Or maybe we're having a good day. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, you know, me and Jesus is just like this today. But what happens when you get in a rush hour of traffic? What happens when your kids aren't doing their homework? What happens when your kids' report cards look like yours? <laughs> Okay? What happens when all that happens? What happens when the job doesn't look real stable and might get laid off, could get laid off, maybe should get laid off? What happens when the relationship between the husband and the wife ain't quite working or the, the, the parents and the children ain't quite working? What happens when the, uh, the, the money for the bills don't reach the bills? What happens? Oh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I wish you'd get sell one of them cows on a thousand hills so I could pay the mortgage. No. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation. It goes back to the message. It's the message. He had the right message. Why? If I've got the right message, then guess whose power I'm using? And that was the reason for his success. All right? Fifthly, this is the one that I believe that we struggle with. And it's what I call the energizing of the Holy Spirit. The energizing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I believe a lot of times this freaks people out. Okay? I I believe that emphatically. Um, Some of us, the biblical understanding is is the anointing. It's, It's literally the covering and immersing it. It's not baptism. Okay? It it literally means to smear with oil of the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, I believe that, um, I, I think the best, I've heard a lot of preachers, uh, you guys, uh, I listen to a lot of men, I've read a lot of preachers, okay, um, and I've heard many, 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 many preachers, okay, and I've heard many, 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 hundreds and hundreds who teach truth, please understand what I'm saying. Okay, they teach truth. But out of the hundreds that I've heard teach truth, I bet I can count on two hands those who have been energized by the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. There is a huge difference. Huge difference. See, Paul knew what it was to walk in the Spirit. Paul knew what it was to be Spirit-filled. You know what that means, right? Completely influenced by the Spirit of the living God. See, Paul uh, knew what it... Little that text out of the sixth chapter of Ephesians is, he knew what it was to being kept being filled with the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. 
Now, now come on, man. I don't, you stand with me here. Don't daydream. I'll call your name. Some of you have volunteered to clean the church. Okay, we've all kind of had a shot at it at different times, right? Let me ask you a question. When you're in here picking up or dumping the trash or cleaning the toilets or vacuuming the floor or whatever, do you feel spirit-filled? Do you? A serious question. Why? Because God has given you a ministry. Would you do it without being spirit-filled? Oh, yeah. Why? It doesn't take supernatural power to vacuum the floor. It takes electricity and a vacuum. Why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? See the difference? Paul understood what it was to walk. He says he understood when he gave thanks for the food he received. He understood when Timothy brought him his cloak when he was in prison. He understood that this is spirit-filled. This is completely immersed. See, the Apostle Paul, when he makes a statement in chapter 5 of uh, 1 Thessalonians, verse 17, pray without ceasing, Paul didn't write that because he didn't do it. Because if you read that text, he says, also, I don't want you to grieve the Holy Spirit. See, because if I understand what it is to be Spirit-filled, I understand what it is to be Spirit-empowered, I understand what it is to be completely immersed in the Spirit of God. So when God says, go to the left, have you ever heard this statement? That um, uh, man is the head, but the woman is the neck. (laughs) Have you ever heard that? In the head of the family. The man is the head of the family, but the woman is the neck. Points him which direction he needs to go. Have you ever heard that? Um, The Apostle Paul understood that God was the neck. God was the head. Okay, I want you to think about this really hard because in light of our context here, Paul has self-denial. He also has self-control. And how did he get it? He was energized by the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever struggle with flesh? How do you overcome it? I go to my room. How do you How do you overcome it? Prayer and the word. Why? Holy Spirit will do what? He'll quicken your soul. Guaranteed. That quick. Guaranteed. Well, why don't I? I don't know why we don't do it. I don't know why we don't do it. Well, what I don't, I've had people come to me and say, well, you know what, I, I struggle with this. I might need Christian counseling for this, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. And I said, you know what, I use psalm therapy. Psalm therapy. I said, yeah, when I'm struggling with something, whether it's myself or other people, what I do is start Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. And I begin reading out loud so that my little beanhead ears can hear what my voice is saying. And the worst that I've ever been, the farthest I could get was Psalm 10. Why? The book of Psalms is only praises to God. And if you get in your little pity party and you think that it's no bad on you and I don't understand, nothing's going on, you read the book of Psalms and what will happen? You will begin singing the praises of who? God, who is worthy. And you literally can take your little pity party and turn it into a worship service between you and your God. You know what you call that? Spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. 
spirit in me? Would you whip the snot right out of me so I can get back to your focus? Now, that's how I do it. Would you tell this mutton head to shut his pie hole and the thoughts that are going through his idiot brain and bring him back to the heavenlies and show him your kingdom and your righteousness so we can get this thing fixed? You know what he does? All right. (laughs) Do we understand that? He knew what it was to obey the Spirit. He knew what it was to avoid quenching the Spirit. He knew what it was to avoid grieving the Spirit. He had seen it. He had experienced the power of the Spirit of God in his life. Let me ask you a question. This very day, have you ever experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? And if you say yes, my question is, have you done it? Did you feel it yesterday? Did you feel it Friday? Did you feel it Thursday? Did you feel it Wednesday? And if you find a gap in there where you didn't feel His Spirit, ask yourself a question. Where'd He go? Where'd He go? Okay. Sixthly, Paul had a strategy. Okay. Paul had a strategy. Um. I guess if you wanted to call it a method, you could call it a method. He was able, what I mean by this, he was able to take these spiritual realities and he could funnel them through an approach. Okay? He understood his message. He understood his calling. He understood that he was going to have to give an account, you know, that, his motive. He understood what it was to be energized by the Holy Spirit. And all of that stuff. He grabbed that. He says, now that I've got all this stuff, I need an approach. In Acts 18, speaking of this church, the church in Corinth, here's how he pulls this off. Okay? He went into corn and he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath, Sabbath trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Okay, some of the Jews in the synagogue there in Corinth received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repented of their sins. He says, but some, verse 6 says, but when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook off his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean and from now on I will go to the Gentiles. He left there and went to the house of a man named Titus, uh, Titicus, Justice, a worshiper of God. Okay, this would be a Gentile whose house was next door to the synagogue. Okay, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all of his household. So he takes the chief rabbi out of the synagogue and he takes some of the other Jews out of the synagogue and they understand who Jesus Christ is and they start worshiping right next door to the synagogue and they start worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ with the Gentiles. That's the way, if you go look at Apostle Paul, that's how he always did it. He went to a big city and seen if it had a synagogue. If it had a synagogue, he'd put on his little Pharisee coat little robe thing with the little bells and the tassels and the whistles and all the rest of it, walked in, say, I are one. They would say, teach. He would grab the book of Daniel and he would show them from the book of Daniel that the Messiah must suffer these things. He'd take the book of Psalms and show them the same thing. He could take the book of Exodus and say, let me show you the picture of it. Let me show you da 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 he just, And he would reason with the Jews. The Holy Spirit energizing the Apostle Paul would go forth. Some people would be pierced. Some people would be cut. I can't remember which of the two. If the pe- one of them, if they were pierced, they would say, what must we do to be saved? The other one would say, what must we do to kill him? 
Okay? So he had a strategy. He had a plan. He knew how to go. He didn't know how to get there. And he went and done it. Okay? Seventhly, he had an unwavering desire to see people saved. Unwavering desire to see people saved. It overwhelmed him. Okay? What causes this? What causes this overwhelming desire? I believe it's as simple. I believe it is absolutely one of the most simple things that exists today for a Christian. He had an overwhelming love for people. You know which ones? All of them. Why? He says that the love of God had been poured in his heart. How much love did Jesus have for you? How much? Then if I'm energized by the Holy Spirit, how much love do I have for people? Quite a bit. Let me share with you something here that he's had to show me. I see a lot of people use this word. Had an overwhelming care for people. Had an overwhelming care for the lost or for the saints or whatever. You know, you can care without loving. But you can never love without caring. You ever thought about that? I want you to look around. Look around. Everybody look around. Make a note. Who's here? Who's Ed, quit looking up at the ceiling. <laughs> there ain't nobody up there. The balcony's closed. <laughs> okay? I want you to think about it. Look around and ask yourself a simple question. Do I have an overwhelming love for these people? Now, now Al and Sandy, you can't look at each other and do that thing. Okay? I'm talking about other people. Okay? Can you look at somebody else? Can you look in this? Look how small we are. Okay, don't forget, we have two behind the glass. Three behind the glass. The short one I can't see moving around. All right, ask yourself this question. Do you have an overwhelming love for these people? Because if you do, then you'll care. You'll care where they're at on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Wonder how their work's going. Wonder how they're doing with... Maybe they have an unbelieving spouse. Maybe they have unbelieving children. Maybe they're struggling in their jobs. Maybe they need to be struggling in their jobs. Maybe they're not being faithful to this or that or the other. And if you care, how will they know? Paul was overwhelmed by it. Let me tell you something. What the Jewish people did to the Apostle Paul was atrocious, and yet he was willing to say, I would give my salvation. Would Israel be saved? I don't care how you cut that bugger. That's overwhelming love for people. Those people would beat him with rods. They tried to stone him. They wanted to see him dead. And he said, I would give up my salvation if it were possible that Israel would be saved. Look around, brothers and sisters. 
Do you even have that kind of love for the saints? See what I mean this text is dealing with? Again, ask yourself a simple question. Was the Apostle Paul's ministry effective? How about yours? How about yours? I want to give you a biblical precedence for Paul's because this is pretty cool. In Romans chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I am under obligation. That's New American, Trans, New American Standard Translation. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians and both to the wise and the foolish. The word under obligation in the New American Standard literally means I am in debt to. Did you get that? I owe a debt. That's what he's saying. Okay? What's the debt? How can you owe a debt to the Greeks, the barbarians, the wise and the foolish? How can you owe a debt if you're saved? Well, this overwhelming love was because I know something that they desperately need to know and that makes me responsible to tell them. got that? See, Paul could look at people and see people, no matter how harsh they were, no matter how backbiting they were, no matter how crass they were, no matter how uh, sinful they were, no matter what they were doing, he could see them on a path of doom. And he knew that he had an answer that can change that path. And he owed them at least the message. Okay, the parable of the four soils. You ever remember that one? Stony ground, gets burned up by the sun, and then some reaps a harvest. Okay, remember that one? Your responsibility is to sow seeds. <laughs> you know what that is, right? Walking around throwing seeds out. What would that be? Right message. Why? Because I'm compelled. What else is there to do in life that is more important? You see all that, how it all works? Sow the seed. Listen, their response is up to them and God, what He does. What I do with it is a debt to be paid. Then the eighth thing is in chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. I am a slave to all. Slave to all. Lost and saved. See, he had decided to sacrifice everything. He had decided to sacrifice anything in his life if it meant he could win more people to Christ. He was willing to set it all aside. Everything to win people to Christ. I want you to think now. We're done. I want you to just think about this. Paul had the right message. Many of you here have the right message. Some of you may not have the right message. Paul had a deep motive of love for Jesus Christ. Knowing that he was going to see him face to face. I don't know where you guys are with that one. He had a sense of the divine call. He understood that he was saved for a purpose, for a reason. He had a great boldness. Why? He wasn't ashamed. Why? If I have a great 
If I have a divine call, I have a deep love for the person who has called me, and I have the right message, I will be bold. He had also experienced and walked in the energizing of the Holy Spirit. He also had a plan. He had an overwhelming desire for people, an overwhelming love for people, the desire to see them saved and to see them strengthened, those who were saved. But he also would be willing to do anything to see it happen. Anything. If you're saved today, you have a ministry. But if you don't look at these eight, you will never be effective. Listen, effective ministry is not busy. That's not a busy. Busyness is not an effective ministry. Okay? Do you have that? Go through the list one more time. Right message. Deep motive for love of Christ. A sense of the divine call. A great boldness. An energizing of the spirit. A plan. An overwhelming love for people. And are you willing to do anything to make it happen? Jesus said, Paul said, or Jesus under the Holy Spirit, said, I beg you by the mercies of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Holy and pure. This is your act of spiritual worship. And you really look at that word, it can be service or it can be worship. Here's what's happening in our church. Okay? It's very, very clear. I believe that you guys all have a desire to present yourself as a living sacrifice. I believe you have a desire for holiness and purity. Okay? But I believe there's a problem. I think that you want to get on your altar and you don't want to get on God's altar. Let me ask you a question. Is your altar comfortable or is God's altar comfortable? What do you think? I can tell you this right off the bat. God's altar is no way near comfortable. Why? That's a sacrifice. Living sacrifice. If you read that context of that text in chapter 12, you will never, ever be effective in your ministry If you're not on God's altar, you may be busy, but you'll never, ever, ever be effective. Because if you read the flow of that, watch that thing flow out. He goes right out of that into spiritual gifts and how the gifts are for the, for the body. Okay. But you can never exercise your spiritual gift if you're not on God's altar. 
See, I got my altar. My altar's nice. It reclines. Thing comes up like this. I can control the volume on my television with it. It's got a vibrating thing that right there in the small of your back. It's got the little heat massage thing. And I'm sacrificing for Jesus. But I'm never effective when I'm in my altar. When I get up on that great stone slab where your heart has to be pierced for all the people. And you carry a weight that seems overwhelming. You will hear His voice say, My grace is sufficient. And you will be effective. That's where we're at. That's where every single person in this room is this day. Let's pray. Father, to your praise and glory, I come this night, this day. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for my precious brother, Paul. Lord, and I thank you for the battle that we are in. Father, I praise you that you go before us. Father, I praise you that you show us your glory. Father, that you show us your victory. And you show us immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine. Father, I beg you now, beginning with me, but all of those who minister here with me, that we would now have a reckless abandon to your altar as living sacrifices because of the mercies you've already given us. Thank you, Father, for my brother Paul. Thank you for what he has done in my life. Father, I praise you that you used him in ways even this day. Lord, may your glory only shine brighter. And may your church only be stronger. To you and you alone, my Lord. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs>